Hello, welcome to Chapter 3 Podcast, the show for readers of science fiction, fantasy, and romance. This is Season 1, Episode 22. I'm Bethany, and joining me today are return guests, Liana from the YouTube channel Liana's Library and Angela from Literature Science Alliance. We are going to be talking about our favorite fantasy authors and books, which I'm very excited about. If you enjoyed the podcast, I would really appreciate it if you take a moment to rate and review us so we can continue to reach more listeners. And if you are interested in getting early access to episodes and exclusive bonus content from our guests, consider supporting us on Patreon. Huge thanks to all of our supporting patrons, including our world-expanding patron, Trina. You all make this possible. As a reminder, the On My Radar segment is now at the end of the episode, so be sure to keep listening for upcoming book recommendations. With that said, Angela and Liana, thank you guys for joining me. Thanks for having thanks us. Thanks for having us again, and this time we just get to talk about things we love. Yeah, we don't have to argue. I'm going to say, like, we sneak that in anyway. So Bethany was like, (laughs) instead of trying to herd these cats, why don't we just let them bring up the stuff that they bring up anyway? (laughs) (laughs) You know, we can talk about things we like. I mean, we may also disagree on things we like, which is fine. So it might just naturally happen, which, you know. Um, okay, so Leanna and Angela, both have YouTube channels, which will be linked in the show notes, go check them out. But we're going to talk about like specific books and authors, but I thought maybe an interesting place to start might be what makes, this is going to be a two part question, so we'll do part one first, but what makes a favorite author for you? And then what makes you love a fantasy book? So we could start with, how do you decide that an author is now a favorite author? Like, what does that look like for you? You want to go first, Leanne? I was going to say, do you want to go first, Angela? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was I going to say like, uh, oh, sorry about the traffic noise. I don't know if you, you can hear fine. that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm going to say like, it's once in a while, I'll read a book that like, based on that one book alone, that author is an autobi author. I don't, they, they wrote that thing and I, I don't need to know anything else. But most of the time, I have to read a few things from them and they have to continue to impress me across at least a few books for me to be like, okay, this author, they know what they're doing. I trust them. I'll read probably anything they write because so far they haven't let me down. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, Patrick Rothfuss, obviously, like he's only written like, two books. So he's a, <laughs> he's a favorite author, but I mean, he's only ever basically written the one thing. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I would read anything he would write. Um, but I'm thinking my favorite author, Neil Gaiman. I mean, everything I've read from him has impressed me. Even the stuff I don't like that much. Um, I'm always impressed with what he brings to the table. So as long as an author consistently demonstrates something to me, I don't may not, it may not always be my favorite thing they've written, but they're consistently delivering something. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's probably similar for me. So like, I for sure, like, as I've read more and more books, have been pickier about, like, what I say is, like, a favorite author versus, like, a favorite work. Mm Because, like, some people have only written, like, one or two things. And if I read those two and I love them, that's great. But maybe they're both in the same series and I'm just obsessed with those characters. So normally if I've, like, read at least two or three things by them that are, like, separate works and, like, all of them have been, like, four to five stars. And that normally has to do with, like, the characters normally like normally they write character interactions in a way that really work for me especially in fantasy like if we're talking mm-hmm. fantasy authors specifically that's what I care the most about it's different for like literary fiction and sci-fi like I have different 
internal parameters for those things. But like for fantasy, I'm there to watch a bunch of people get into a situation together. And the Hmm. fun part for me is like how the author brings that to life. Hmm. That's so interesting because I think I do like that, but that is not the only thing that would make me love a fantasy. Like I, yeah, we'll have, we'll have to talk more about this, but um, yeah, I, I mean, I generally would agree that similarly it's going to be an author who has consistently shown that they write books that I love or, you know, I mean, this isn't fantasy specifically, but like, or an author where, I never hate anything they like, and I frequently love what they write. So, like, Sylvia Moreno Garcia would be a good example of that for me, where I've never disliked anything I've read from her, and a handful of her books I adore. So, I would It is also learn. important to me that an author isn't just sort of resting on their laurels, that they're consistently yeah. demonstrating, again, this is where uh, I don't I don't have to always love it, But I like to see an author who's trying to stretch and trying to expand and trying to challenge themselves to take on either longer or darker or different or whatever. Mm -hmm. And dipping their toes and and trying to to expand on what they do and how they do it, because that it just shows me that they're not stagnating. And so that me as a reader, I will never find myself bored with their writing because they're never just being churning out the same old thing, if that makes sense. Hmm. Yeah, and kind of with that, like, I want them to always be growing and challenging themselves. But I also love when I can expect a certain level of quality or authorial voice. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like we all agree that Jemison works are can be different across series, but it's yeah. always obviously like, that's NK Jemison, that's her voice. Yeah. And so I like kind of knowing that I'm going to have at least a good time when I pick up an, a book by a favorite author. Like maybe they're trying something new and it won't 100% work, but I yeah, like when they have author. a certain baseline quality to them. Yeah. Yeah. Favorite author is somebody that I just, I feel safe in their hands. I mean, I've read enough from you that I'm, whatever journey you're taking me on, I, mm-hmm. I trust you. you. You lead me wherever you want to lead me this time. Mm-hmm. Let's just see where this goes. I'm not, whereas new books or new authors, things that I, I don't have that they aren't a favorite, so they're still earning that place if they ever want it, or it's a completely, it's a debut. That I'm mm-hmm. still, as a reader, I'm sitting there going, mm, is this, or where are we going with this, or I don't know. Whereas if it's a favorite author, I just go with it, whatever it is. And at the end, it may not have turned out to be my favorite of their works, but I will just go with it and trust them. Yeah. I do think it's interesting, too, because an author for me that has earned that, like an author that I've read for a long time or read in a world for a long time, then they can put out a book that I could maybe say, okay, if somebody is starting with this book, objectively, it's not perfect, but I'm going to maybe love the experience of reading it just because I've so much fallen in love with the characters and the writing style and the world, Um, which I always think is, is an interesting feeling where I'm like, yeah, I can see your critiques of it, but I don't care because I love this thing. I feel like that exact sentence is something that you've directed at me so many times. That is probably (laughs) true. (laughs) Literally word for word. I'm pretty sure I can find that in my comment section from you. (laughs) I would not be shocked. (laughs) I'm a big believer in that a book can have flaws just so much as I don't notice it while I'm reading it. Mm. <laughs> Bringing in a flaw, I mean, especially with some, with, with art, you know, what is a flaw? It's always beauty's in the eye of the beholder. So unless we're talking about literally like the grammar 
which, you know, there are times when even when that <laughs> is not up to par, which is, you know, yikes to that. But uh, aside from something as purely structural as the grammar, uh, pretty much everything is up for debate and interpretation. So, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Okay, so Angela, you kind of touched on this, but I do want to talk about like, what makes what makes a favorite fantasy book for you? Like, what, what are the things that might cause a book to like rise to that level? I feel like for me, it's complicated and it can be a lot of different things, but I'm curious. It's, it's a lot of things. And I've been, you know, I've been reading fantasy in all age levels for so long. These different things have captured my attention at different points. (laughs) I always do say that like, I mean, I think now I'm definitely more patient with slow-paced fantasy, and I actually really do like a good slow-burn setup of a fantasy book, especially if the character work can back it up. But, like, I've always said that I'm a world-building-driven kind of fantasy reader. Like, if the intrigue of the mystery of the world is is there and done in a compelling way, that's, like, a big hook for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I My least favorite thing in a fantasy that you have to work really hard to overcome is magic is leaving the world. I'm really done with it. I'm bored with it. I want magic sort of thing. So like, that's one that like, I've just learned recently, maybe in the last year or so, it's like, oh, if this isn't a book, the author really has to sell me on why they're doing this in a unique way that's compelling because you took away the cool magic part sort of thing. But I don't know. It's really hard because like, I feel like my two favorite fantasy authors do the different things. You should do like an ad. Remember those old hostess ads that were like, where's the cream filling? Um (laughs) That's me. <laughs> Where's the magic? <laughs> Where's the magic filling? Yeah. <laughs> and like some authors can do it in compelling ways and make up for it in other parts of the storytelling. They just they they start at like a lower tier versus like I love when magic is coming back. Like there are lots of new fantasy I read this year. Like with um, there were two releases this spring and summer where both of them had this intrigue of like magic has been absent for a bit, but now it's returning in mysterious ways and it's having these side effects. And it's like, that's some of my favorite stuff. I don't know why, but I just, I like when magic misbehaves. I like Mm. when it's coming back and I do love a good apocalypse in a fantasy book and like dying earth stuff. Mm. I like a lot of those things. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I think like I, if there's a thing that I love about a book I can forgive a lot of other things not being there if that makes any sense so like if I love the characters in a book and I'm really invested in those characters and their their plot arc I don't really care if it's plot driven I don't mind what the world building is like I'm gonna have a good time with it also like if I'm really into the world and the mystery or the like politics of a book of a book and the characters are like mediocre, but I'm really into everything else about it, I'll be like, oh, that's fine. I can still really love this book, even if like the character work isn't incredible. So like it yeah, like I think for me, I can if I it's a lot about my experience of it, of how much am I enjoying myself and like I don't I don't have to have everything be perfect in one book. I mean, if it all is great, like which is why things like the Broken Earth trilogy just like blow my mind because like NK Jemison does everything brilliantly and I'm like, wow, okay, awesome. Um, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. 
Yeah, I was gonna say like I'm just thinking of my two favorite fantasy series, and they like both do things differently. Like I love the Stormlight Archives, which is like mm-hmm. the definition of like epic, large, slow burn fantasy with like very explosive moments, and then like the Broken Earth trilogy. But both of them have like apocalyptic scenarios and mm-hmm. like unknown magic systems. But I, I don't know. If, yeah. Like what you were saying, it really doesn't matter as long as something else pulls through. But if I were to like just take an average of my reading tastes, mm-hmm. I think that's what it is. Yeah. See, my yeah. favorite thing about speculative fiction is the way in which it takes the shackles off of an author to contemplate scenarios and what that what that would do to people, how they would react to that, mm-hmm. to things that aren't actually possible. And yet it is possible to imagine, okay, what a human being, if they were placed in a situation like this, if this was possible... If this magic was at their disposal, if the world did work this way, how would humans react to that? And so I don't really care if it's big magic or little magic. I don't care if the magic's coming back. I don't care if the magic's leaving. And I will almost never care about a magic system by itself. Like someone's like, oh, it has a really cool magic system. Okay, cool. But is the author doing something where the characters, like the way the characters use it and interact with it? And the situations they're placed in because of it. That's what I'm interested in. So like just a magic system where like, the gizmos do these cool things like I literally don't care <laughs> so <laughs> if the author like and if a author is a bad author then they don't necessarily know how to do this but like I don't care if the author feels that the magic returning or the magic leaving or whatever the case may be is the thing that will create the situations that will be the most interesting or the most compelling or the most uh, thought-provoking so I trust the author to determine what magic will facilitate these situations and and if they don't pull it off well then they're not a favorite author <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny yeah well, I remember Leanne you were talking about the Broken Earth trilogy and how like from your background with like anthropology like it's such a good exercise in watching cultures mm-hmm. evolve from their like ecosystems and things yeah it's a bad they... paraphrasing of what you said much better but i remember <laughs> you talking about that it's just that cultures are basically formed around ecological factors um they inform one another and so the fact that your cultural practices they don't just like sprout up in a vacuum like the reasons behind a certain mode of dress the reasons behind certain social structures like if it's more practical to have a polyandrous society versus a polygamous society versus a monogamous society those are usually like decisions that it, like might now be baked into the culture where no longer the environment requires that. But at one time it did. And that's why this culture formed this way, because it was the most practical choice. And so the way the broken earth very like awarely like incorporates how the fact that the earth itself has changed and become a huge factor in people's lives in a way that it's the, the earth is a character basically in the book and the apocalypse is a character in the book and the way that this has like materially affected social structures, hierarchies, cultural practices, the way they dress, the way they talk, the way that what they believe in, who has power. This is all a direct result of their ecological environment. Yeah, which I mean, I do think is cool, but it's interesting because that's also like less of what I loved about the series. I mean, as I said, she just does everything so well. Um, Whatever you're looking for, she's done the like, thing. Like, <laughs> I mean, seriously, N.K. Jemisin is just the most, like, I think, I think you can make an argument that she's like the most brilliant speculative fiction author living today. Certainly than that I've encountered. I mean... She's yeah, she's amazing. I also actually just got done 
it's a it's a secret but by the time this episode goes up it won't be um but for like a secret tbr vlog i just got done reading um the killing moon by her that was gonna be my next one but then my patrons chose hundred thousand kingdoms so (laughs) it was great i loved it i mean the world building is so interesting i do think um it's interesting because like yeah i know it's one of her early works and her character her character work is not as good like it's still good but i i do think you can kind of see how much her character development has grown since then but the world building yeah is that was so my good. review too i think mm. it's the first written like that's not the first published but that's mm-hmm. the first one she put together at least that's yeah. what she said in a hugo speech that's interesting. I can see that. I mean, it's still amazing. And I mean, for most authors, it would it, like, I still gave it five stars. It's a great book. But like, I, I can tell. Oh, silent silence myself. Oh, good. All my library holds are available. <laughs> <laughs> you Keep it in the podcast. <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, no, it's, uh, it's definitely interesting because the, you can, I feel like the characters are still nuanced and interesting. And I feel like for the average author, I would be like, oh yeah, these are great characters. But for her, I'm like, this is, this is not quite up to what I've read from you before, but it's still really good. I Yeah. Which I mean, like that, like brief, uh, side quest into rating systems being tricky because I know that I'll rate a book three stars that I think is miles in a way better than another book that I've rated four stars Mm -hmm. because for that author, I know that that author can do better. And that author's four and five stars is not, is was way better than this book that I just read. It has to be a three. However, another book by some other author, I might have given a four, but if I compared the two, the three is better. (laughs) Your rating system is going to give me an aneurysm. (laughs) I know, right? That's like, that's, I can't do that. Like, that's too much for me. I think the, the main issue for me was like deciding between, is this going to be a five star or a six star, like favorite book of the year? And I landed on five star because I'm like, yeah, I did really love it, but N.K. Jemisin can do better. So I'm just going to make it a five star. I think you're going to love The Shadowed Sun, though, because The yeah. Shadowed Sun, I think, has the character work we're more used to. And I think you're going to love one of the main characters. That's my prediction. Mm. So. Okay. Okay. I'm excited for it. I bought the second book because I, I decided it, I could because I was reading the first one finally. So, yeah. I have a few more of her backlist to read that I have not read yet. And then I'll probably be sad when I'm out of and Kate Jemison books to read. You just start over. That's what I did. I mean, I will also. Yes, I will probably also do that. That's what I do with Joe Abercrombie. I just keep restarting. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think I feel like Leanna, you do a lot of rereading of your favorites, which which I think I do now. I used to not because I always felt like it. I know this is well. This is why I do it now, and I didn't. But then I felt somehow like it was a waste of time. Like it progress is not being made. And so I, I would, would refuse to do it. And now I was just like, whatever, I want to. So yeah. <laughs> plus there's also like the, the problem with fantasy is that if you're reading a series, you almost have to reread and reread and reread every time a new installment comes out, because unless you remember it that well, <laughs> you're... See, you say that's a problem, but that's why fantasy is one of my favorite genres. But <laughs> I mean, I'm it's a problem. Reader, if, it's so. a problem if you want to get through more new books. <laughs> yeah, no, I I don't reread everything, but I will say one of my favorite things 
is authors who have planned ahead in their series enough that when you go back and reread earlier books, you suddenly see things in a brand new light because of like these breadcrumbs they dropped that like only makes sense given. You mean like when you finish the last argument of Kings and then you realize that the blade itself and before they are hanged were actually yes. had a plan. Yes. <laughs> like that. Or like the Witchland series by Susan Dennard is like this, which I really <laughs> love. I know you you like DNF the series, Lana, which is totally fine, but I love it. It's like one of my favorite series. And it's also one of those ones where every time I go back and reread, I notice new things and like knowing things from later on in the series suddenly sheds new light on stuff that she planted early on. And I know it's because she had a lot of this planned from the very beginning of writing it. And it's, it makes it really fun. I think this adds two things onto like my favorite authors list now that I hadn't realized a favorite author is someone I want to reread because I take Mm -hmm. a lot of comfort in re-consuming media, TV Mm -hmm. shows, movies, books, if I want to reconsume your art multiple times, you're probably a favorite, mm-hmm. but also like an author with a plan. I do find, and it's not always the case, that authors who kind of just let the story unfurl, which is a totally valid way to make art, mm-hmm. don't tend to be my favorite story crafters because I kind of like to feel safer. Like mm. there is a plan that will sustain me to the end and it can work. But nine times out of 10, if I didn't like the ending of a book and I'll look at interviews, the author doesn't like isn't a big outliner or whatever. They kind of just they have a different method of producing their stories. I feel like I'm very Goldilocks about this because an author that doesn't plan at all is rarely going to be a favorite of mine. But if an author over plans, then I also don't like it because I feel like they're (laughs) they're like so structured that there's no organic flow to how things are developing. And it feels like it's been shoehorned and crammed into fitting this mold that they have pre-planned. So like, I feel like there needs to be somewhat of like a baseline kind of framework of generally where this is going. But an author that leaves that that gives themselves grace to change that plan along the way if the characters have led them somewhere else Hmm. yeah I think there needs to be adaptability and flexibility but I also like don't like when like the last book in the series introduces something very pivotal that it's like the seventh book in a series and like maybe that should have been talked about a few books earlier (laughs) I'm thinking a very specific series right now um (laughs) It but seemed yeah, like sure. it when you said the seventh <laughs> book. <laughs> yeah, I just, even before talking about Harry Potter was a little taboo, I've had many issues with the seventh book since it came out <laughs> in the 2000s. I've had a lot of issues. Well, I mean, the thing there too is also, it's just uh, the, just admit it if you're a pantser. The fact mm-hmm. that in interviews, she would always insist that she had planned this. And you're like, lady, we can, we can read. Like we can see <laughs> that you did not plan this. Why don't, you know, there's no shame in that. You don't yeah. have to have planned this. <laughs> No, yeah. People try to be like, oh, there were things. I was like, no, 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 no. These were made up. These were made up right yeah, here. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I feel like it especially stands out when you're talking about lengthy fantasy series. Like, I don't mind for shorter, for like, you know, a, a standalone or a duology or whatever. Like, I don't really care if the author is more of a pantser. That doesn't bother me. But for a lengthy series, if I'm investing like a lot of time in many books, like, like you need to know how you're ending the story and where you're going with it. (laughs) It's also, I mean, it's been interesting uh, as the reader and also then to hear the perspective from the author on how it is to write, Um, watching Pierce Brown step into the territory of having multiple perspectives. 
because as he himself said, you ha- you can't wing that because <laughs> yeah. you have to plan which perspective is going to show you which thing and how they're going to intersect and when they're going to intersect and which one you're going to show in what order. And like you, you can't wing that. Yeah. <laughs> so he's had to do a lot more planning than he's used to because he is very much a pantser. So <laughs> it's been interesting. I mean, his books are getting to be like insanely long because it turns out that he just writes the same amount for each character as he used to write for one character but it's now four <laughs> characters in one book you're like sir <laughs> sir they are ginormous books yeah which is why i still haven't continued i need to i i just i just finished my reread of dark age (laughs) i haven't even finished iron gold yet like i started it at one point and then kind of stopped they're so long (laughs) it's an it's like a real investment it's one of those things where like i kind of wish i would have somebody making me read it for something because then i would feel like i have a good excuse (laughs) Well, I maybe can make if we're you. lucky, we'll get the third book next year, and you can just run a read. Well, okay, Pierce Brown year. tossed away 200 pages of his started manuscript because he thought it was too dark, and he's starting over. <laughs> so, too dark. But I read Dark Age, and I'm like, sir, <laughs> what was in there? I want to know. <laughs> Does he have, like, a Patreon you can join to get these deleted scenes? <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? Absolutely not. Some authors either. have those. I almost joined Yoon mm-hmm. Hali's because they... He was going to write fanfic for two of my favorite right. characters. N.K. Jemison has one. That's what helped her leave her day job. Pierce yeah. Brown is very cagey and contrary, so I seriously yeah. doubt he'd ever do that. Fair enough. He just makes merch. Yeah. Uh, but, but Bethany, the friend. series you were talking about, The Witchland, is that yeah. the first one, Truth Witch? Yes. Because yeah. I've been curious about reading that one, so now I'm even more excited. Because that's like been my... like. When that last book is on the horizon, I'm going to binge that mm-hmm. series. Well, I'm planning on doing a read-along next year before the last book comes out because I want to I will be them there. All. Okay. I will join. Yeah. The thing about that one is I feel like the first book reads more like YA fantasy than the rest of the series does because um, it is technically YA, but I feel like the further you get into it, the more it reads it like it easily could have been aged up into adult fantasy. One thing that I think not everybody likes is that um, it's multiple perspectives and each book sort of focuses on the character arc of a different character. Like you'll have arcs that mirror it with lots of different characters, but like people who read the first book and what they want is these specific character arcs that are focused on there sometimes will read later books and then are disappointed because it's focusing on something else. Eh, I'm pretty flexible. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, Isn't I'm expecting that kind of what it. You can tell me if with... I'm wrong, but Throne of Glass trajectory and that the first book I'm not going to like that much because it is going to be a little too traditional young adult for me. Like, I don't know, older young adult. I don't know how to phrase it, but like whatever Throne of yeah. Glass was. Yeah. And it I will... mean, it's like <laughs> I, I enjoyed it, but also like she wrote it. She started writing it when she was like 15. Like, it's very it's not polished either you know yeah i'm expecting pleasure read from this i think that's another thing for favorite authors is sometimes i want the thematic journey that jemison provides that she also pairs wonderfully with entertainment but sometimes Mm -hmm. if an author just entertains me that's all they need to do same so yeah same i'm yeah liana i know you i feel like you get more bothered by stuff (laughs) (laughs) which is completely valid (laughs) But uh, yeah, it is always interesting to me. Like there's, I feel like frequently I'll see you really, really dislike things that I'm like, oh, 
okay. I mean, I thought it was fine, but cool. <laughs> but then she goes around and likes Terry Goodkind, which I'm sure is fine, but he would I put would put in the pleasure read category where I'm just not used to you liking. Yeah, Definitely I mean, and there's read. also, of course, like, I, I sincerely don't know what I would think of it if it was, I picked it up for the very first time now. I don't, I still, I don't think I would hate it. I don't, mm-hmm. I really don't. But I, I'm sure some part of it is nostalgia. Yeah. We have a whole episode on Terry Goodkind. Me too. Because <laughs> we both are, really enjoy those books. He was an interesting character. But he's, but... I mean, like, going back to my... I mean, he wasn't who I was thinking of at all, mm-hmm. but I mean, uh, what when I was talking about, you know, an author putting characters into a situation that has made possible by the speculative nature of their work, um, a lot of, I feel like when I've heard criticisms of Terry Goodkind's work, and the criticisms are many and they are various and they are often very valid, but mm-hmm. a lot of it is kind of coming from that this magic is, you know, derivative and it doesn't make sense or it's cliche or the names are stupid or whatever. And all that's true. But mm-hmm. I mean, I'm mainly here to see the characters and how they're responding to the situation they're placed in. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like the Kobayashi Maru. Like, I don't care about the game. I care about seeing how this person is reacting to the game. So I think he, that is kind of his focus as an author for mm-hmm. reasons that are also problematic. But nevertheless, <laughs> that was kind of where his head was at. Was like, I just, I'm just i constructing this world and this situation in order to have these characters react to it and see yeah. how these humans interact and react. And that is what I find the most interesting. So he's yeah. just where his eye is at is something that I find more compelling. I mean, I adore his characters and I find his plots fun. Kind of silly maybe, but like fun. They're like, they're it's a lot of fun. They're a lot mm-hmm. of fun. Um, yeah. Not serious. Like, but yeah. Yeah. It, it is interesting. Like how you, how you think of favorite authors. Well, and then I think that there's, there are authors who like would I call them a favorite if I was thinking like a top 10 or whatever some authors maybe not but I'll read everything that they write so Mm -hmm. like I think for me Sarah J Mass is probably a great example of this is like I don't know that I would call her one of my top favorite authors but I really enjoy her books and I will pretty much read anything she writes so yeah yeah well, I was just going to say, like, mine is, like, Media Corpor, where I haven't had higher than a four star for mm. my experience with her works. But, like, her ideas are always so cool. So I keep picking up her books. Yeah. 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 Well, and I think similarly, like, Sarah J. Mass occasionally will surprise me with something that I'll end up loving. Like, A Court of Silver Flames did that for me, where I was like, oh, I thought this would be fun. And then I cried and <laughs> really loved it a lot. But, um, But usually it's like, yeah, you know. This was fun. <laughs> you know exactly what you're getting normally with a Sarah J. Mass book, mm-hmm. and I respect that. I yeah. respect that a lot. Yeah. You do. I mean, like, you, do, you know what you're getting. And that's why I tell people, I'm like, I'm like, look, if you don't like what she does, then, then that's fine. I get it. Don't read it. <laughs> you know? No, yeah. I mean, I sometimes pick up a Sarah J. Mass book because I'm like, I need this level of escapism. I need this level of ca- character tropes. Like, I mm-hmm. want the... I want what she brings consistently to the table because what she chooses to do, she does well, except sometimes, and I think this was for me the case in A Court of Silver Flames, her attempt at providing a plot with stakes did not work for me. <laughs> I just I just ignore that part. <laughs> I know, but this one was particularly egregious, yeah. okay? 
<laughs> I mean, fair. I mean, fair. I, you know what I think the thing is, is like, I just kind of ignored those parts. I didn't really, I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. But like, I like, because I was so invested in the, the, the internal journey of, of the main character, like it didn't bother me but you're not wrong like she does so like there it, there is so much like plenty of valid criticism to be made and like kingdom of ash <laughs> she okay i just can't let myself read last books in sarah j mass series i just need to you know what really. okay it's actually a really good wrap-up it just should have been like 300 pages shorter and yes. also she shouldn't try to write battle scenes like she's not good at writing battles <laughs> Uh, this was an author that I would never have read on my own, but it was my best friend's favorite author because I'm mm -hmm. a good friend and I'll do these things. And I oh. didn't know that you could DNF anything. <laughs> I didn't know that was possible once I was three books in. And then you meet a character that I like. So I just kept going. Mm -hmm. but, mm -hmm. yeah. 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 But no, not a favorite author, but I have read, I think, all of her books except for the novella that everyone tells me to skip. So I just don't. Yeah, you can definitely skip it. I have read it though. So. <laughs> It just like maybe one Christmas if I'm feeling it, but you know. it has to be very specific. <laughs> oh man. And Leanna is just like, I'm not saying anything. <laughs> like, Leanna, I mean... what's your like pleasure read? Like only brings you joy. No other redeeming quality. Um I mean I'm kind of a masochist, so what brings me joy is usually misery. Um, like I, I have the most fun reading Joe Abercrombie. That's why I reread his books all the time. <laughs> Please, fair, fair. I'm just living my best life. Yeah. Hey, well, it's funny because like I, I like what Joe Abercrombie does, but I, uh, he's he's so far, I don't think he's an author that I would reread a lot because it is like darker, you know. Yeah, I mean, like, I would eventually, but it would be a while. Because it's like, his, his books are, I don't, like, that, like, they're less fun for me, I guess. Like, there's parts of it that are. I feel like his ability to write unique characters, where mm -hmm. each one is is a unique individual that comes out alive, you know, off the page. Mm -hmm. And has unique turns of phrase, and has incredible interactions with everybody else, and it all feels so grittily real and lived in mm -hmm. i just there's no one else that really delivers on that level like he yeah. is the greatest of all time when it comes to character work that's just a fact so and since i love character work <laughs> <laughs> we start the podcast with artist subjective beauty is the eye of the beholder no facts he's the best at characters i mean you may not like the characters he's written but like to constantly write so many characters and mm -hmm. they're all unique individuals they're nobody's a cardboard cutout to fill out the scene everybody's mm -hmm. a fully fleshed out human being with a distinct voice like there's just nobody else that's doing it on his level mm. Yeah, I I mean, if he wrote a book that was all Glockta, I would probably reread it. <laughs> well, you can always just, you know, and once it's a reread, then you don't have to read the other chapters. That's you true. Know I can just them, skip so just all the other forward, characters yeah. and just read the Glockta scenes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was funny on my reread because I was rereading it and I knew approximately what would happen. But honestly, because the plot is um, minimal. Like, I didn't quite remember the big moments, but I was, like, remembering, like, Logan, you meet him. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, oh, man, yeah, I like Logan. I feel like bad things are going to happen. 
And like, I don't remember what, but I shouldn't hold on to this feeling. I was going to say, you can open any chapter in any Abercrombie book and just confidently say, bad things are going to happen. (laughs) Well, because it was like five, it was like five years between the Mm rereads. Yeah. Okay. So who would you say is your most reread author? Liana, I'm guessing Abercrombie for you. Well, it depends on how you count it. So like, I'm about to read The Wolf for the fifth time, mm-hmm. but Leo Caro has only written The Wolf and the Spider. So Joe Abercrombie has just written more books and mm-hmm. I've reread all of them. So um, it depends on how you count it. Okay. I've reread Brandon Sanderson the most. Okay. Um, so I think Tamora Pierce is probably... Well, then there's also Ella Enchanted, which I read 17 times. So probably. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think I've read almost every Sanderson four plus times now, maybe three. Wow. That's wow. Okay. Well, I mean, so remember, this was before I knew that there were more books than what the bookstore had in the shelf. And they only had like all the Terry's. Like all, oh, the, the, t- all the Terry's, Terry's. Yeah. there's Terry Goodkind, there's Terry Brooks, there's Terry Pratchett, yep. like all the Terry's, yep. all the Terry's, and they had A Song of Ice and Fire, mm-hmm. Sanderson, and this was back when Sanderson only had four books, mm-hmm. so he was like the new guy on the block back when I read him. Mm-hmm. So, wow. so I don't know. I just started reading him in 2005, and it's 2021. So I guess I'm- it's my comfort read. I'm on reading Hero of Ages right now. Like oh. I'm, I'm having a great time. Yeah, I mean, I think. I, I feel like what would has been that for many, many years for me has been Tamora Pierce because like the number of times I've reread the um, Song of the Lioness Quartet and the Circle of Magic Quartets is many. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I love her. I mean, I started reading her stuff when I was like 11, 12, something like that. And um, they still hold up pretty, pretty dang well. That series is my biggest regret that a bookseller, when I asked for books to read, didn't recommend that one. Because mm. I never read it, like, of the age. And, I mean, I do plan to read it one day. Mm-hmm. But, like, it sounds like such the – like, it sounds like it would have been, like, a perfect series for me. Yeah. Like, I did, I have read, like, you know, Harry Potter, His Dark Materials. Like, Aragon's not a favorite, but I read that. So I read, like, those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're they're great. I love them a lot so at that age I was mainly reading the Redwall books I think yeah I didn't like books with animal protagonists same Bethany I avoided it too (laughs) and I never read the cat warrior books even though like I own so many cats but like I never could do it (laughs) I'm glad it's not just me my friends all thought it was really weird and I was like yeah I don't want to read books where animals are the main character (laughs) No, I think those are the reasons too, but I don't have as much regret over skipping Redwall. I think yeah. more Pierce I legit just didn't know existed until mm-hmm. I was like 20. Yeah. So. I mean, still worth going back and rereading. I, I've been like slowly acquiring more of her books. Some of them are out of print and harder to get a hold of. So I've been like trying to kind of amass a uh, mini library of some of my favorites. So. What do you guys do when you think you've found a new favorite author? I get very excited when this happens. When you say, what do we do? I mean, what is there to do? You throw a party? Invite people over? Buy, I mean, I just post on dish, the internet a lot. Uh, but. I mean, buy all of their books. I don't know. 
I don't know. Well, I buy all the books and then forget to read them. Oh, but yeah. I mean, I feel like after I finished the Broken Earth trilogy, I was like, N.K. Jemisin is definitely a new favorite author because she's amazing. And then I've been like slowly reading her backlist. I also, and- I mean, I have to say, unless I've, I feel like there's a, a point at, there's this in-between zone where, like, I think some someone's a favorite author because yeah. I've just read a book or I've just finished a trilogy or something, and I'm, like, riding this high, and I'm like, well, that, well, that was very good. But mm-hmm. then I'm a little bit afraid to read anything else by them because what if it's not as good? Mm-hmm. What if it's it was just that? What if I'll be disappointed? What if they aren't <sighs> a favorite author? And so I have to, like, do that I have to have to like finally like bite the bullet and read something else by them and test that water and then if I still love it well now they're a favorite author and now I'll never feel scared again even if I end up being disappointed I will be confidently picking up everything they read I won't be like but what if it's bad yeah what's happened to me a lot not all the time but frequently with YA fantasy has been where I'll read the a first book from an author and love it and be very excited and then read the next book and it's disappointing. Um, And I do like, I don't know what you guys think about this, but this is a thing that I sometimes wonder about because especially in YA publishing timelines are really quick. Like they want authors putting a book out like once a year. And so they really push authors to, finish things quickly patrick rothfuss could never write ya no <laughs> he would die no um but i do wonder because i think sometimes you get these debut authors who've had like you know been working on their first book for five or ten years and it's great and then they have to suddenly turn around and write a second book in you know a matter of months or a year or whatever and it's not great and I just wonder if it does like does a disservice to some of these new fantasy authors because I've just seen this happen a lot recently I'm sure it's yeah, just, I, I mean I'm sure partially... it's not true for every single time that it's bad but I'm yeah. sure at least some part of the time that is a factor yeah yeah and I mean I think that's partially why like I've been liking the duology trend in mm-hmm. YA because I don't have to wait as long to hear if people like the completed work because mm-hmm. I definitely like because I'm a pickier young adult reader than an adult reader I try not to start too many young adult series like I still do but I just I try not to yeah like and then I get really excited like one of your wrap-ups you said illusionary was the, the last book in that series by yeah. Zoraida Cordova and I yeah. was just like so pumped yeah because I think also YA can the series can be stretched too long like I get the most middle book syndrome when I read a YA trilogy yeah it can still happen in adult but I get it more often yeah no I agree yeah yeah you know Zoraida Cordova is an interesting author to talk about actually because she is an author who is very very consistent like I never dislike her books but I also never adore her books I don't think I've ever given a book of hers five stars but I've never given it below a three star. It's always like three and it's almost always like four, it's almost always four stars, sometimes three and a half. But it's just interesting because I'm like, I always really like her books. Like they're very consistent in quality. Her plots are good. Her characters are good. I think her books are a little more plot driven than I prefer. Like I always want more time with the characters, which might be why I don't totally love them. Um, but th- they're always like high quality, you know? Yeah. I mean like incendiary, was the first like tropey young adult book I'd read in a long time that scratched all of my itches in the mm-hmm. way that I wanted it to. Yeah. Like I think 
she did what I needed it to be for like what I typically go into young adult thinking for like the faster paced story. And it had all like, I don't know, my heart rate was very elevated for the first 100 <laughs> pages. Yeah. And the number of times that's happened in a young adult book, even when I was of age is minimal. So mm. it was just, yeah. I'm excited to finally get to Illusionary. And I think her first adult book's coming out. Yes. So I'm very excited. I'm very excited to read that. Uh, well, her first one under that name, she has written adult like steamy romance under a pen name. Um, okay. But yeah, I'm really excited about that too. The uh, Orchidea Divina one, I'll put it in the in the show notes. But yeah, um, and the the second book in in this series, Illusionary, um, is real. I think it's a really good ending to the series too. It, I think it's a good wrap up. I get, I think I gave both books four stars. That's what I predict I'll do too. But like, I'm I don't have an issue reading a book and knowing it'll be four stars. Yeah. I have issues reading a book and like when I know that it's going to be like a two and a half or three star, like that's when I feel like I need to commit to DNFing more. You, yes. yes. It's so freeing. Okay. I highly recommend it. <laughs> I just don't like, it It depends. Cause normally those books for me are the fast books that don't take me long to read. Cause mm-hmm. I've learned that like, I just need to give up on fa- plot paced books. I'm just not that person anymore. Mm. So. Interesting. Yeah. Liana, we haven't heard from you in a while. So I just wanted to. <laughs> well, I haven't read anything by Zoraida Cordova. So I have no idea. <laughs> That sounds nice. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I have no clue if she would like Zoraida Cordova. It's a very I, tropey I young have... adult book, but you like some tropey young adult yeah, books, I so I don't know. know. I haven't seen because I got it from a book box when it came out. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you might. It's like her. Um, I'd be curious to see how you do with it. Because, yeah. like, it's, um... <laughs> hear that from you a lot as well. Because <laughs> I never know. Like, I never that. really know how you're going to feel about stuff. I feel like her books are, like, always very competently written and she has good plots. They are melodramatic and they're very, you know, they're very YA tropey books. Um, but I feel like her writing is just really consistent. I feel like I heard yeah, Jatana ranting short. Like, about it doesn't that overstay one. its welcome. <laughs> really? Yeah, I think it was just a specific thing because she was ranting about a thing that characters do that she finds annoying. Mm-hmm. And it was clear that she had a very recent something in mind. And <laughs> we were like, well, what are you talking about? Like, where did this just happen? And I'm pretty sure it was incendiary. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's true. Well, this is the thing is like, I do think there are typical YA tropes that some adult readers find irritating. It was something to do with uh, and so you can tell me now, like, if yeah. I'm misremembering, if you're like, yeah. well, that doesn't happen in incendiary, but it's something to do with like a character harboring guilt over something when you as the reader are like, well, you were clearly in the right, like you didn't do anything wrong. Can you stop? Can you knock it off with a, but I'm a monster because I did this terrible thing, but it was like self-defense. You're like, okay, okay but I think that's not? never, I, I think that's handled very well and it makes a lot okay, of but sense. So that it I was incendiary. <laughs> yeah. I agree with you, Angela, though. Like, I do think it was handled well and it did make sense for the character. And, like, I had a friend who was reading it who, like, suffers from the mental health stuff that is in that character and said it was done really well. Mm. So, like, it wasn't, at least to the person who had the same thing, mm-hmm. like, just tropey. It was actually, like, a good representation of that. Yeah. So. But, yes, it would have been that book. But <laughs> I'm not misremembering at the very no, least. No. It was I mean, it, yeah, it is tropey. I have a friend who doesn't want to read it because, like, it has a, a mini makeover scene, which I know happens in young adults. Okay, this already sounds like my worst nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> I like a makeover scene. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 sometimes tropes are meant for comfort, and mm-hmm. I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Oh man, that's funny. But did we? Did I, Angela? Did you answer this? Love like most reread. I said Brandon, Brandon Sanderson. Sanderson. You did. You did. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I want to get Jemison numbers up there, but it's going to take a little longer mm-hmm. to catch up. Her books take me a little longer to read than typical books. Like a um, which was interesting because this is what happened with the killing moon where I was like, Oh, maybe like, it's not that long. Maybe I can just like read it in a day. And then I was like, no, I definitely can't. It took me like three days in chunks. Like I read other books those days also, but like, I couldn't just sit and read it all the way through. I really liked it, but it just, it's, there's a lot going on and a lot to unpack in her writing. And I feel like it always just takes me a little while. I enjoy it. But But also, like, they they are good to, like, read a bit of it, get the intrigue moment, Mm -hmm. and, like, ruminate on it while Mm -hmm. you do other things. Yes. Like, you don't need to get it all at once. You can... Like, I buddy read The Killing Moon, and we all had all these insane theories, and we kept voxering about, like, (laughs) who do we think's doing this? Or what do we... Like, it was fun to theorize. Yeah, that sounds like fun. So the downside of... So it's really exciting when you're in the honeymoon phase, when you've just met your new favorite author, and you've committed, and you've bought all their books, and now you're chewing your way through them. And then you catch up, and now you have yeah. no more. Yeah. Then yeah. you're sad. Yeah. And then you just reread. <laughs> I know. That's, That's why I haven't read Emergency Skin yet. It's my last Jemison. Oh, man. That's probably why I've been, like, parsing them out and not jumping through all of them for, yeah. Yep. Like, I've only, I read The Hundred Thousand Kingdoms, but I haven't continued on with that trilogy, so I still have the last two books in that to read, and I have... The Shadowed Sun. And that's it. I've read all of her other stuff. So. You haven't read the novella after the third book in the Inheritance Trilogy, which I really like that novella. Okay. Awakened God or something. Yeah. It's a very cute novella. Okay. Yeah, I haven't. No, I haven't read that. But but I've, I've read, a, like, a lot of her books. So Because they're all so good and they're so different. All, and the covers yes. are all colorful and nice to have on your shelf. Yeah. They're so good. I still just like I love Orbit. Orbit is probably like we're not talking favorite publishers, but right now is probably <laughs> my favorite publisher. But like, I hate that they're mainly a paperback publisher. Yeah, <laughs> you want more hardbacks? They do some hard hardbacks. Um, you know, I like mean, First Law and City We Became was hardback. Yeah, but that's the only Jemison. Well, then the short story collection that mm-hmm. came out in hardback. Well, those are also her last two releases, so I think she's gotten mm-hmm. popular. And I think that's the thing is like they do hardback releases for their really top sellers but I think Jemison is probably now getting to that point I also get confused because like the Bone Shard Daughter and the Unbroken were both debuts but the mm-hmm. Bone Shard Daughter got a hardcover and oh, the Unbroken yeah. didn't and I like well, the Unbroken way more but that's just me Bone Shard Daughter got a Barnes and Noble book club thing oh uh, okay there it is there's the capitalism <laughs> yeah so that's probably why but no, I mean, I, I think Orbit hits it out of the park for me. Like, my favorite fantasy, mostly from Orbit. Mm. I really like them a lot. I'm also a big fan of Tor.com. Yeah. I like a lot of what they do. But I just, I realized recently that Tor and Tor.com are different things. They I'm are. not very in the loop. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's crossover. Like, the, a lot of the publicists will work across both. But, um... But yeah, the editors and like what they put out is different. Tor.com is edgier and they do more short form fiction. And yeah. Yeah. I like them. They also send me a lot of stuff, which I appreciate. <laughs> I'm just looking at all the spines of my books now going, who published which ones? I never pay attention. <laughs> 
Leanna's like, I don't read things for review, so I don't pay attention to this. I've literally I never requested noticing... a review copy. <laughs> <laughs> I only started noticing Orbit because, like, if you do look at my bookshelves, I think everything but the Sanderson books might be. Well, and I have some Solaris. Yeah. I like Solaris, too. Yeah. I kind of have my shelves organized by size and type, and I have a bunch of, like, the same size paperbacks, obviously, mm. together right across from me. And sure enough, a bunch of them are Orbit, and as you were saying, they're mainly yeah. paperback. Yeah. Well, I now organize most of my sci-fi fantasy books by publisher. It helps for height, at least for me. Like, yeah. I like to organize things by height. They and look nice together. I was going to say, like, that was not my intention, but that's kind mm-hmm. of the result of the fact that I've been organizing it by the size, because mm-hmm. that's, I mean, that is the natural result of that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I just enjoy how it looks. So I have, like, all more Orbit books together and my tour books together and my tour.com books together. And then it's always annoying because sometimes, you know, they change their logo. Yes. And then mm-hmm. I'm like, now they don't all match. It's fine. <laughs> It's and sometimes fine. the sizes don't match, even if it is the same publisher. That is true. Orbit does that. I don't like that. Why? Mm. Why? Yep, that is true. I also have my book of the month club books together. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I keep avoiding book of the month because mm-hmm. I don't like the logo. <laughs> you know what, though? It looks cool if you shelve all of your book of the month club books together. That's fair. Like, then they look nice because they look like a set. So, um, so that's what I do. Like, once I read them, I have, like, my unread book of the month club shelf. That's literally what I do. I have an unread book of the month and a yeah. read. And it's just this and proud moment. Yeah, I just well, get so happy when I get mm-hmm. to move it over from the unread to the read. And I'm like, ha ha, well, another one is, down. Is like, if I don't rate it high enough, it doesn't get to go to the red shelf. It gets on hold. I resell it at like my indie bookstore so yeah so I'm always like hmm are you gonna make it to my red book of the month club shelf or are you gonna (laughs) go to somebody else's you're like the other part of that bachelor commercial for the book of the month (laughs) (laughs) oh man that's so funny okay so uh I think we've been talking long enough we should probably also talk about upcoming book releases since this conversation is going all over the place which is fine um but we're gonna move on to on my radar which is where we talk about recent or upcoming book releases in sci-fi fantasy or and romance also i'm realizing i did not adequately prepare for this i have a list of them and i forgot to write down things about them so i am just going to do this slightly more off the cuff than usual that's fine um so the books for today's episode that I'm going to be talking about are going to be released between July 20th and August 2nd, 2021, with the exception of guest recommendations, which might include any upcoming release. So um, July 20th, this is not even accurate. Why? Okay. So I put July 20th, but I'm realizing now that the release date has since changed and this book is already out, but we're still going to talk about it. It's fine. So originally to be published on July 20th was Half Sick of Shadows by Laura Sebastian. Instead, they moved it up to July 6th. So it's out and I am currently reading it. It is a retelling of The Lady of Shalott from The Lady of Shalott, Elaine's perspective. It's a adult fantasy. So she's written some YA fantasy. This is her adult fantasy debut and it's dealing with like mental health issues. So far I'm into it. I'm liking it. So 
actually coming out on July 20th is These Hollow Vows by Lexi Ryan. And this one is being pitched as Cruel Prince meets A Court of Thorns and Roses. It's a sexy, action-packed fantasy about a girl who is caught between two treacherous fairy courts and their dangerously seductive princes. Um, so this I'm, I'm intrigued by. I haven't read it yet, but uh, I'm, I'm kind of waiting to see what the reviews on this one are because it sounds interesting. Then on July 27th, I've got two books coming out to talk about. First up is The Viscount Made Me Do It by Diana Quincy. This is a historical romance. And what's interesting about this one is that the heroine is of Arab descent, as is the author, and she works as a bone setter, which is pretty interesting. This was looked down on at the time as like not real medicine, but obviously they actually did kind of know what they were doing um and yeah i liked this i thought it had like some interesting interesting fresh things that it was bringing to the genre and then lastly on july 27th we also have small favors by aaron a craig coming out this one i read and was very into it's kind of a quiet slow-paced horror novel uh it's ya it's set in this small kind of frontier town with kind of weird mysterious mythology surrounding the origins of the town and weird stuff is starting to happen so like animals are getting born deformed and plants are like crops are rotting before they can get plucked and like strangers are coming and weird stuff is happening and it's following this young woman who is just trying to survive and take care of her family and I really enjoyed it it's like a quiet slow horse so if you want something that's not super scary but very creepy and atmospheric this is a great one to check out so those are my new releases I wanted to talk about Angela Liana do you have anything you want to share yeah, we already mentioned it in the earlier part of the podcast, but yeah. I think September 7th, The Inheritance of Orcadia Divina by mm -hmm. Zoraida Cordova is very much on my radar, mm -hmm. mainly because I think it's a standalone fantasy. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but I haven't uh, yeah, seen Yeah, I think it. you're right. I think it's standalone. I think they go to Ecuador, which I really love going to other countries, and it seems like a family that has a secret, but the family members don't know that secret, and they're, like, discovering it. I, I don't want to, like, look too much more into it, but... Like we've talked about in the podcast, I really trust her writing and I want to see, I don't know what this is. I'm also just always looking for Latinx adult fantasy. Like I will just read anything that has that for it. Love it. I finally get to say this. I've been waiting all year. <laughs> the third and final book in the Age of Madness trilogy by Joe Abercrombie, The Wisdom of Crowds, comes out September 14th. You have been holding off on starting his new trilogy. Now is the time. Just in time. You can totally catch up and be ready for when the third one comes out. Yeah, do it. I love it. I, I have a long way to go before I get there, but one day. Because you can't skip any of the books. Don't <laughs> think about it. <laughs> that is. Yeah. One day I'll pick up Best Served Cold. It'll happen. <laughs> yeah, it's. I, I want to do it sooner than later. Maybe we could read that, Angela, if you're interested anytime sooner. But. I mean, it'll probably encourage me to do it sooner. So we probably do it. Try and figure okay, it out. we could do it. We could buddy read it. I'm down. I have it on audio and brother. physical book. So I'm. I have to get the physical because the audio and me have not been friends. Uh, so. Gotcha. Okay. Well, let's do that. Uh, great. Thank you. Everybody check these out. All of the books, as always, will be in the show notes. Again, this has been Chapter 3 Podcast, and I'm your host, Bethany. You can follow us on Twitter at Chapter 3 Podcast and on TikTok. 
also a chapter three podcast. You can find me on YouTube at Beautifully Bookish Bethany talking about books all the time. Um, the next episode is going to be available in two weeks and this episode's bonus content will be available to patrons in the next few days. Thanks for listening.